This is the Super Sports Schools Podcast, bringing you stories of our future stars, powered by Spurs Stake Ranchers. One, two, three, go! It's a topic that affects players of all ages, and it's spoken about quite a lot. But when it comes to action, that's easier said than done, which is something we're hoping to change on this episode. We're talking about mental health in school sport. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Super Sports Schools podcast brought to you by Spur. I am Alex White. Now, Spur people have a taste for life, but here at Super Sports Schools, we have a taste for school sport, and that includes everything to do with school sport. Like when we interviewed Kate Woods earlier this year and spoke about girls and women's sport. It was a fantastic discussion. Today, we chat to her husband, Duncan Woods, who played for 13 seasons for South Africa in water polo and now is heavily involved in mental health in sport. Tim and I pick his brain today about school sport and how mental health affects school sport. We want to find out what some of the challenges are that school athletes face, how sport can be a driver to improve mental health in school athletes, and also what it takes to make it to the top. Cool, Duncan. Thanks so much for joining us just to start off the show. Can you please introduce yourself? With pleasure. Uh, Duncan Woods. I'm a performance coach and a sport mad one at that. Um, I just bumbled along. Um, I had a really important um, guy. I think you guys, have, uh, Vlado Trinic, was my, he was kind of my mentor. And he found me. And if it wasn't for him, I probably would have just kind of just gone through the system and might have been playing some water polo socially otherwise but he kind of he changed my life he kind of turned the the lights on for me and then from there it was kind of also about who I was that I always loved um being part of how a team got motivated I loved kind of challenging myself and when I first broke into the national team I was the youngest in the team and there was a fair amount of debate whether I should have been in the team at all um so there was something to prove in there and I and I loved that motivation piece and kind of what's possible piece. So that drove me. And then I started, when I was made captain, I started ex- being excited about how I could influence others to, to kind of join the dots for themselves and us as a team have a collective kind of mission. So that all just happened by accident, but it was kind of, you know, it was part of my identity, I guess. And we're here today to talk to you in particular around a few things involving mental health in sports. So what's your experience been with mental health in sports and how are you involved in that? So I have a particular um, affinity for mental health in sports. I went through a whole career uh, without having any mental health support. And I look back now and um, what a benefit that would have been. Um, we were kind of left alone for our whole time just to kind of cope. And, and I think there's, we're better than that. We can support our athletes better than that. So I'm very passionate about it. You say you went through a whole career just to help everyone understand that sport career that you went through. What did it involve? Uh, water polo is my sport. I played for the national team for 13 seasons and captained it for 11. Um, great time in my life, but uh, yeah, mentally really challenging. Uh, and diving into that, what are the sorts of challenges that you seem to face when you're at such a high stage in front of a crowd like that? So I think um, you know, being an elite level at anything requires you to be really kind of clear internally about what you're going through. Water polo, we are. Um, in South Africa, really striving to to make our way in the global game. So that involved a lot of 
learning how to lose and to try and extract value from from kind of knowing where you are and facing the realities of that, but also seeing the development and the progress in that. I think on the professional stage, if, we, if we're starting our discussion there, there's so much pressure from people within the group, from coaches, from fans, from everyone. And I think the, the higher the level, the more pressure there's going to be. And for someone who's aspiring to get to that level, what does it take mentally to be strong enough to be able to compete, but also to be able to cope uh, in, in those sorts of environments? It's a great question. I think framing the challenge is possibly the most helpful thing that you can get support on. I think as you go up the ranks, if you have someone supporting you in stage for stage for stage, it's very doable. If you are kind of navigating that on your own and wondering how good you are and your last performance being your only reference, um, that can be a very lonely space. It can be a brutal space. So um, handling pressure along the way in a step-by-step basis, I think is, is something that all athletes, we should strive to give all athletes that benefit. And that, that I guess does start at home, you know, having a strong base to power you through. I mean, that's some advice I wish I had at some stage. I mean, it's not like I played sport at a very high level, but I know, I mean, one little anecdote for me, in my first first team game uh, for our basketball team in high school, again, game-wise, fitness-wise, we were ready. Play-wise, we were ready. But mentally, we just seemed to crack. And I think that support around us and being there for each other could have really helped us through that one. I think there, there are three levels that we, we want to look at today with you. And that is, like Tim's saying, at the school level in the first team, the pressure that you have there. But then also, it doesn't necessarily just happen if you're in the first team. You could be playing in the fifth team. There's still pressure. It might come in different ways, but it can still affect you as much, if not more. Uh, so I think let's start there at school level. And then we'll we'll talk about the, actual, the benefits that sport has as well in terms of mental health, because there are so many. And then also when you get to that top level, a lot of the time, the difference in top athletes, what makes one better than the other is who's stronger mentally to be able to push that little bit harder. But to start at school and talking about, like Tim's saying, first team, what are some of the challenges? Where do they come from for players, for young people in school playing for those first teams? And then we'll talk about uh, other teams as well, but starting particularly uh, in, in the first teams, because I think in South Africa, there's such a drive on many first teams and in rugby, especially to be almost professional, that there's a lot of pressure there. I agreed. You know, and I think that's the school challenge is so interesting because there's different role players in and around the developing mind, right? So we have a 15 or 16-year-old who's coming onto the scene, you have a couple of other people, you have their own voice going on, which um, we, is really the one that we need to try and help shape. Um, there's the parent's voice, which can often be, you know, your parents through all the love in the world or have great intentions for you, but that can often, I wanted to say occasionally, but I'm going to change that to often, become a distracting or an unhelpful influence on what's happening in the mental space. You've got coaches who um, have different styles. There's, you know, at school these days you have old school coaches and you have some more you know, newer school coaches. Neither is right or wrong, but there's two approaches to it. So I think you've got these stakeholders which are all trying to get the best out of you and often not with a synchronized message. So I think at school, if there was one thing that I could um, advocate for, it's – for everyone knowing their role. 
um, in the parent's role, I often work with parents and saying your role is exclusively support and encourage. So in terms of tactics, in terms of, you know, um, giving advice on how you played, what, how you should be playing, I would step that right back. I would then look to the coaches to, to lead with kind of real empathy and be a modern leader, not, uh, you know, some of the old school kind of coaches who uh, led, led out of fear. Um, so I think those are two relationships. And then I think there's definitely room coming in for more support coaches. You know, you're seeing, um, you know, teams that travel to the World Cups, et cetera, they've got a support staff, which is almost as long as the team roster, right? So, so I think we, we're getting there, but at school definitely the pressure's heightened because you have this young developing person who's not fully formed. And I think we need to be very aware of that and just be putting really helpful influences in our stakeholder system. Quite often what I think I see refing club rugby is that it's not necessarily the guys who played first team who are carrying on. It's the guys who played second, third team, fourth team, fifth team who kept playing because they enjoyed it and weren't put off by those pressures. And obviously they're guys who will play first team and carry on playing, uh, talking obviously specifically rugby for this example, but they'll carry on playing and they might even make it professionally. But very few people are going to go from school and make it professionally. And a lot of the time, when winning is everything that matters for the schools, when coaches are just trying to win, when they're trying to get their players selected for provincial sides, national sides, it can put on a lot of pressure that, like Tim's saying, dissuades people from carrying on with the sport. So do you think that the pressures that you face in the, kind of, we'll say, lower teams, there is still pressure there, but sometimes it doesn't have that professionalism and kind of extreme parental involvement that you can get at first team level. So what are the differences? Um, I'm kind of framing it that it's not as bad, but I think sometimes it, it can be even worse. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a really good one because I think where we miss each other is sometimes those um, lower teams, shall we call them, don't get the technical and tactical support. So you might have the A team is the full focus and there's a you know very motivated and dedicated group of coaches and then, you're playing in the B team you might not get that so we might lose them because they weren't coached properly I do think your point applies as well there's still that expectation on them so I think it's that balance of you know like if we could change the word excellence and just scratch it out and say development and your role as a coach is player development where did I start with this player and where did this player end that's your benchmarking not did we win have an unbeaten season or did we you know did he kick a uh, 80, 80% average, it's where did I take this player from and where did we get to? I think that's that kind of resonated with me. I remember in matric, I moved from playing, this is rugby-wise, moved from playing flank to hooker because I bulked up a little bit. It's quite nice. Um, but for my whole matric year, I'd never scrummed once in my life. We just played uncontested scrums. We never practiced scrumming. And then following year, last year, first year, I played some internal re league rugby and again, kept my size. So they're like, oh, play a hooker. I was like, yeah, okay, it's fine. Then I realized I actually have to scrum now, which was something I had never done in my life. So the idea that we should be pushing more player development just to enjoy the sport. Because I think for me, that was a place where I didn't find enjoyment was where I was just getting dominated by guys that actually knew what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, being a hooker and finding out you had to scrum at the late stage, that was probably an uncomfortable few, uh, few uh, nights sleep. No, yes? it, uh, yo, I remember after that one game, I forgot what team we played. 
I just, my back was in so much pain. Yeah, we've got to equip our athletes at every level yeah. to be, you know, for the challenges. We've spoken about a bit about basketball, rugby. You've spoken about water polo. Do you think in South Africa, school sports, across sports, the pressures differ? Or do you think generally first teams, whatever sport it is, is getting that sort of manic involvement from parents and coaches and everyone trying to tell you what you should be doing and it's just sometimes too much to to handle yeah i think it's across the board you know um we're off to the water polo ipt this weekend in port elizabeth um and then interest and intensity is for the under 13s is not too far off what the under 19s are facing you know so it's it, we really need to be mindful of how we frame these experiences as i said you know to be a developmental part of the journey not the gold medal is you know the be all and end all and you've said for parents to step back with the technical advice and be encouragement uh, the coaches to provide that technical advice what would you say to someone who is in those sort of structures at the moment a young player at school who maybe doesn't have parents or coaches listening to your advice but they can act in some way, how do you deal with everyone telling you what to do and being pulled in all these different directions while having to balance all the other things that are going on in your life with this sport? You're absolutely right, Alex. The, the amount of um, things these young people have going on is, is scary. You know, it, it really is something to juggle. So to answer your question, how, what advice would I give to an athlete? You know, I think it's just that work ethic for me is, um, is just kind of where I would try and just encourage them to lean into. Um, just keep that work ethic high. Be prepared to learn. Be prepared to fail. Um, I had a beautiful moment. I was watching a, a game of hockey the other day with a friend of mine who's involved in the, um, in the UK system. And there was this guy that had a short corner and he tracked back all the way back and made a crucial tackle right at the other end of the field. And although my friend's team were in a, they're in a losing state at the moment, he just looked to me and he said, I can work with that. You know, so I think um, to answer the question, work ethic and, and just encouraging players to just be coachable, stick with it, have a good work ethic, be ready to learn. And then you're gonna, probably going to have to help them identify which voices are helpful for them. So that might be something where they have to tune out, actively tune out some voices that are making them feel under-equipped or disempowered or them. So, so yeah, so I guess that's, a, that's the process. I always think like telling someone what they're doing wrong isn't useful if you're not also telling them how they can fix it or get better at it. Uh, so I think if, if those voices are just always negative, always kind of breaking you down, disappointed, it's not going to help you improve. Obviously, there are extreme cases and examples where it might, but typically and generally it's not going to, and it might make you just want to give up the sport altogether, which is obviously something that we don't want. You look eager. <laughs> I was just going to ask, we've focused a lot about the shortcomings when it comes to pressures in high school sports. But I mean, for many schools like our own, sports is compulsory to a certain age. And we're always told about the benefits, you know, everybody has the generic one. Yeah, it teaches you how to work with other people. But from a mental health standpoint, what are the true benefits of still playing sports? Where do we start? Yeah, I'm, I'm an advocate for, for everything of value that I've learned has been reinforced or... Uh, in the sports on the sports field in the team environment so i think th there's there's so much and it's not you know the cheesy kind of anecdotes it's it's really you know dealing with pressure managing your own 
time managing a schedule, um, putting in the work when you don't feel like doing the work. I mean, just to name a few. So I really fundamentally do believe in it. You have some people who kind of get binary on the individual sports versus the team sports. And certainly there's an interaction element in team sports. But these days, if you're playing an individual sport, you've got three or four coaches and support team around you. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm an advocate and, and I've seen that through my life. All that good stuff's been there. So it hasn't been cheesy anecdotes at all. And I think even with individual sports in school level, you typically still have a team. There'll be a first team tennis, even though you're playing individually, you still each need to win to beat the other school overall. So there's still that sort of team involvement and you practice and train together. So I, I think, like you say, there's benefits from all the sports. And on the whole, and largely, I think sport obviously is so positive and so powerful and it can teach you all these great things. So the the pressures that some people face, if we can deal with those, then it's just this wonderful, positive thing. What do you think in in terms of in school for players, athletes, the major benefits that they would get from playing sport versus not playing sport? I mean, you're saying it's not just these cheesy anecdotes, but um, some people who just won't play sport, we're, we were at a school where you had to, um, but there's some people who either can't because their school doesn't offer sports or for other reasons, or they choose not to. How do you sell it to someone to, who's who's not keen or doesn't think sports for them? Yeah, I think the one of the key things now, and even as adults, um, one of the only times I'm not attached to a device in some form is when I'm exercising or doing sports, you know, and that's for me the one of the big big selling points currently is, you know, I'm on my phone from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to bed. The only time when I'm putting it down is when I'm eating um, or when I'm exercising, you know. So I think for all of us, you know, we need to understand that the digital um, way of living is not going away. Um, and for kids, uh, I see it with my, my boys, um, it becomes the default. It becomes a pattern so quickly. And the only time when I find it's an, there's no fighting, there's no pushback from them, is when they're outside playing sports or doing something out, outdoors. So I think that's that's a really strong seller for me. I have to self-manage. I mean, we are arguably as addicted as, as you know the young, the young guys are to these digital ways of communicating. So that would be the first point for me. I mean, I think just generally the um, – the immediate benefits of mental health, you know, just you, I notice, I notice they're different. My kids are different when I'm interacting with them after we've had some exercise versus when if we kind of just ambling around the house here, they're generally still in the, in touch with the device somewhere. So, yeah, I mean, I think from those two perspectives, it's just that giving your mind a rest and giving your body some, let the blood flow and those kind of things are the basic ones that we know about already, but we need to be, making sure that everyone understands the benefits. Uh, we've been talking, like you said, we've been talking about it this whole time. We've been saying how you can focus, tune out different voices, etc. But do you, as Duncan Woods, have some practical tips for people to to improve their, their mental strength, whether it's to deal with these uh, external influences, whether it's to be stronger in competing? What, what's, what's your advice? Great question. And anyone who's worked with me before would have been bored by the conversation that I'm about to share with you is that for me, there's three bedrocks. Um, the first bedrock is identity. So whenever I'm working with an athlete or a executive, um, I spend some time, which is sometimes frustratingly slow, but saying, I want to know, like, I want you to know, what are you about? Like, let's start there. Let's, let's be 
diligent. Let's write it down. Let's articulate what are you about, what's important to you, what are the values that you hold dear. So identity is the first piece. Then we move on to then the second piece of bedrock and we say, what is your purpose? Like what is, and that sounds like really like uh, cheesy and Instagrammy, but um, what is it that you see yourself doing? And sometimes I make this really easy for people to say in when you're with a group of, of friends, like what is the agency that you play? What what are you? What role do you play there? Are you the one who's kind of saying, you know, come on, let's go, and it's you know you're kind of proactive and assertive, or are you the one who's kind of keeping the group together and just being that? So just try and help them to understand what role they play, and maybe just make a little bit of sense to in team environments or in my own individual sports. This is kind of how I see it being part of who I am. And the third piece is vision. So what what do you actually want this to accumulate into? And you can be quite edgy with this, you know, like why asking questions like why why would you waste your time training rugby when it's January or when it's December? Like what why? And ask them a provocative question, which actually often gets the best responses when they say, No, because it's important to me and because I want to achieve and because it's you know, it's how I express myself and you start getting the stuff which starts putting that layer in place. So for me, um that'd be my kind of I insist on it, identity, purpose, and vision. Um, get those three things in place, and then you can start building on top of that. I want to end on on belief and what you would say to someone to help them believe that they can achieve, whether that's to make it into a specific team, whether that's to make provincials, whether that's one day to play for your country, whatever that level is, just to take the first step and believe that I can and so I should. What would you say? It's a great question. So, um, so there's an equation that a guy called Wayne Goldsmith, who's a really um, accomplished, um, I guess I don't know what Wayne's title is, but he's a sports. He kind of works around sporting programs. He's an Australian guy who's worked with U.S. swimming and some of the best Olympic athletes in the world. And he uses the equation that your confidence is going to be belief times your evidence. Okay, so I think referencing belief—that's immediately where my mind goes. So the evidence piece is about seeing the progress. So this is about coaches helping an athlete see, gee, you know, Tim, look how much you've improved. You started here and you ended here and, and reinforcing every day. This is the evidence that you're good. Okay, so the evidence piece is, is both driven by others and driven by yourself, really saying, you know, I've put in the work, I've trained hard and applying the evidence piece. But the important one, as you mentioned, is the belief piece. Um, so when I'm working with an athlete, I will say, the first part's all on you. You need to decide, am I going to back myself today or am I not going to back myself today? And again, I always go to the negative. I say, tell me what not backing yourself is going to do for you. Is that going to help you in any way? And I'm still waiting for a good answer to that question. So it's, it's kind of helping them just realize that there is a choice in backing yourself or not. And the, the answer is an obvious one as well. So yeah, belief times evidence um, would be something that I'd regularly reference in trying to just say you need to choose and then you need to back it up with evidence. I think that's a fantastic equation and a great way for us to round out the chats as we go now into the quiz. Time now for the Super Sport Schools podcast quiz. Duncan, you're going to be looking to beat Kate's score, which I think was six when she was on with our Women's Day special um, and... 
I don't think her quiz was particularly themed on anything. There would have been a couple hockey questions, but yours is also quite a broad one. We've had quite a few World Cups this year, Olympics next year. So there's a bit of that in there. But basically, you just get 60 seconds, answer as many questions correctly as you can. If you don't know the answer, say pass. We'll go to the next one. Uh, Best to get the ones you don't know out the way and just keep moving. Some of them have options. Some of them are true, false. So there's a whole mix in here. And uh, yeah. We'll see how you do. How are you feeling? Um, yeah, particularly nervous, actually, um, seeing as my wife's been benchmarked at, uh, at a certain level. But um, I'm, I'm keen to go. I'm keen to go. Awesome. I always found for me positive self-talk always helps. <laughs> yes. um, it, it sometimes ended as trash talk and then I would lose and then I have to go back to being humble. But positive self-talk. You've got yeah, it. You know yeah. it. Yeah, putting, putting it all into practice now, what we've just been talking about for the past half hour. All right. Are you ready? Ready. Your time starts now. Who holds the record for the most Olympic medals? Phelps, Michael Phelps. Correct. True or false, Supersport Schools will broadcast the Klauser 2023 show on the 16th of December. True. Correct. Which school had the most representatives in the Springboks World Cup winning squad this year? Paul Rus. Correct. In which sport is the term catching the crab commonly used? Pass. It's rowing. True or false, painting was once an Olympic event. True. Correct. Which school did Cajiso Rabada attend? Cincinnati. Correct. What is the greatest number of strokes ever taken on a par 4 during the PGA Tour, 12, 16 or 18? 16. Correct. How long is the cycling com- component of a full Ironman in kilometers? 120. 180. Which school has the oldest rugby fields in the country, Rondebosch or Bishops? Bishops. Correct. Who holds the record for scoring the most points in a single men's rugby world cup, Grant Fox, Dan Carter or Johnny Wilkinson? Carter. It's Grant Fox. Which school has the most representatives in the current men's Proteas team? Uh, Afis. It's Gray College on the buzzer there. That was impressive. Seven. He did it. He has beaten Kate. Just. That was quite. That flew through that. That was lovely. I enjoyed the the challenge. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Duncan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for talking about a topic that. Like you say, we talk a lot about it in sports, uh, school sport. There is a lot of pressure on kids. We've gone through it and it's only going to get worse if something's not done involving parents and coaches being a bit more aware. But I think there's also some great advice that you've put forward for young people to really take to heart. And I hope that you do. And I'm sure we're going to be chatting to you again in the future because I think there's more more there to unpack. But as a start, I think this has been great. So thank you. Thank you, guys. I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, keep the conversation going. Thank you so much for joining us for a very special episode of the Super Sports Schools podcast brought to you by Spur. It's a topic that affects everyone, not just those who play school sport. But I hope that you've learned something today, that there are practical tips and bits of advice that you've been able to take from this discussion. And there's more on our social media pages. Just look for Super Sports Schools. This podcast airs every Wednesday at 7pm on Supersport Schools, Channel 216, and is available wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or someplace else. I'll see you next week, but for now, from me and everyone at Supersport Schools, bye-bye. This has been the Supersport Schools podcast, bringing you stories of our future stars, powered by Spurs Take Ranchers. 